A lot of times there would be entire meetings where I understood nothing. There would be a slideshow, someone would be presenting, they would be having whole conversations and I would have absolutely nothing to contribute because I just didn't understand anything. Nothing was in context, nothing seemed to make sense. And then sometimes I would be asked for an opinion and I would have to be like, um, I don't, mmm, ah, hmm, <laughs> yes. Hello and welcome to DevOps Sauna. We have all started our career from somewhere. Some people may have known exactly what they were up to from the get-go, but most of us were walking the path, zigzagging through different roles and responsibilities. When someone is in the early stages of their career, it can be helpful to improve their skills in metacognition and reflection. Mary Varis recently had her first summer job in a systems testing team, and we asked her to share what she thinks are the most important matters for every novice going into test automation and quality assurance. Mary is joined by Sara Lakko, a DevOps consultant from Efficode. Let's give the mic to Mary and Sara. Thank you for taking the time, Mary and Sara. How are you today? I'm doing good. Just working on school as usual, having too many courses as usual, trying to learn statistics, which is proving to be more di- difficult than I would like it to be. <laughs> thing to remember about statistics is all models are wrong, but some models are useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's like that, that Finnish saying where it's probably a saying in other languages too, where it's like there are lies and then there are major lies and then there are statistics. Yeah. Statistics were the worst for me. Yeah, I don't. It's it's difficult. It's very difficult. How are you, Sara, today? I'm good. Just working with customer and hustling. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I'm just good. Uh, just a l- having a little bit of back problems, but it's okay. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. Today we're talking about under the title seven things every novice in test automation should learn and i i really before we go to this conversation i have to ask both of you to to set this straight for me because i come across it from time to time and it's a terminology issue we say test automation but then i also hear something called continuous quality assurance and so what's your take on this this let's get the term straight what it is yeah with my three months of experience, I always kind of test automation, in my opinion, tends to be used in situations where we're specifically talking about the automation that we have, kind of, at least the way I interpreted it would be now we're talking about code. And then there's there's a there's a whole bunch of other terms that can be interchangeable, kind of interchangeable like that. And they all have their nuances, but then I would usually just assume that we're talking about this in a more, in a, in a bigger scale, kind of usually to have to do with like customer requirements or something like that, where it's kind of higher up in the business yeah, company that, level. Yeah, that's a good Good point. I would say that test automation is a part of quality assurance. Uh, it it may be the ho- whole part, but but usually it's it's smaller part, and it, quality assurance takes it a little bit further and takes account uh, everything else 
quality advice like um well as you said to requirements everything and test automation just uses those and it's a whole package then there's also the unpronounced assumption that when we say test automation that there would also be a test which is not automated which i'm pretty sure that we get into as we go along the way how we have structured this talk is um, as it happened when mary um, told that she got a role as a summer worker around test automation and i asked her to think about like be reflective of what's going on and what should every novice know now that um, truly she had a chance to come in as a novice for test automation and um, and um, she went and did what I asked and thank you Mary for that and we have seven let's say statements that she observed as part of her work and we are today going them through first giving floor to Mary to make the case for the statement and then Sara um, with more experience under your belt on test automation, continuous quality assurance, and all other those buzzwords, then we get to hear a reflection and then we'll take it from there. So shall we get to it then? Sure. Number one sure. being uh, don't underestimate your skills, but make sure you really understand. Well, this is a a big concept i feel like and especially coming from the school world where where they were basically graded and were like always always uh, judged upon what specifically are the things we know like the amount of knowledge we have and 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 the like quantifiable understanding that we have it's it's really easy to overlook all of those type of like soft skills that you might have and then also it's really easy to learn to question that kind of intuitive way of thinking where where if i don't really have specific arguments for something then i'll be very hesitant to even even bring forth what i think because i'm the the way that we're taught in school is is just anything should be anything you say you should be able to prove or or give arguments for give you give support and i really found that in in a lot of situations at work and especially in like team conversations or or those type of situations where it's it's a lot about interaction and like exchanging knowledge um it's there are a lot of situations where i would um, be hesitant to say something, I would have a thought in my mind and then I'd be like, well, I don't know enough about this or, well, I don't have specifics for this or, well, I don't have any support for this. And then I wouldn't say it and then someone else would say it and might even say it even more vaguely than I was planning to. And so that's that's what I learned is is just to just to kind of linger in, in your mediocrity in a way. It's just it's fine to not be the expert. It's oftentimes needed that the not expert says something on the matter. And then oftentimes it can be a really valuable just point of view from the non-expert. But then the flip side of that is to not get cocky. It's, it's easy to, it's easy to then, then go, well, 
for some people it's easier than for others but 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 then there's the danger of going all the way to the other end and being like well i'm i'm always important in all the conversations which is also not always true um and so it's like while it, it was something that i needed to learn was to be more confident in in kind of assuming that i do have the the knowledge that i would need for this conversation or for this situation or that i would have an important point of view then one always has to keep in the back of their mind that in reality there are a lot of things that we don't know and then should always be able to kind of take that that feedback of well like you might be wrong or then or then be like just be just be wary of not getting too noisy in situations where you don't actually understand yeah uh super good points i wanted to uh touch touch upon on that but make sure you really understand in this test automation point of view a little bit because uh at least i have noticed that in r- r- really often you you might need to uh justify your your work because uh test automation might cost a lot in at least in the beginning and it uh if it's done properly um so i would say that that uh, that's the one aspect i would keep in mind going uh, as a novice in test automation um, because well software testing in in general uh, might be a little bit little hard and you need to communicate all the time and the points you made were excellent just to show that that is it is what it is and you need to be vocal you need to ask questions and you need to just uh, develop yourself further further and further and just i don't know sometimes maybe make a fool out of yourself uh, my coworker just said that y- your best quality is that you're never never quiet and i was like uh, that doesn't sound good <laughs> but but i learned to do that i i i was not like that at all at the beginning i was so shy i i didn't ever said anything and never asked any questions because i thought that everybody would think that i'm a stupid or something like that but it's not like that you're learning it's and you're always learning <laughs> mm. even as a specialist but yeah super good points yeah about the like justifying your work i kind of feel like coming as a, a a complete novice to specifically test automation and like to specific to specifically go to build automation and like um make code for the automation code base some of my work should be self justifying a lot of a lot of my work would just be very basic stuff and a lot of my a lot of my justifications would be well we don't have it yet It's like why are you testing this button? We have nothing. It doesn't exist yet. I'm making it. And so I haven't really run out, run into that situation yet because I was doing a lot of stuff that was very basic and very obvious as to why I was doing it. But yeah, but yeah, I do I do relate to that 
you made a point earlier saying that at school you are taught to prove your arguments or basically argue your statements is maybe a better way of saying it. Maybe that is because at school there is an underlying assumption that it is possible to find an objective truth. Whereas when you think about any business setting, it's it's probably not even that clear that you want to find the objective truth. I think it Albert Einstein was saying it in the way that of all the possible theories that are out there or the models that are out there at any given time, one of them proved to be far more superior than the others. Robert Pirsig in his book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle, Motorcycle Maintenance, he put it nicely that some people take offense for the fact that truth is time-bound. And I think it is helpful, irrespective of whether it is test automation or anything else, think that we are not on the quest for finding the truth, especially dogmas that are that are true irrespective of time. But we are trying to find the best plausible, implementable uh, alternative of all the alternatives that does the job at this moment. And somebody can know it better, and it's okay. But then, after all of this going back and forth, we can accept that, okay, it's not important to find the truth. Let's just pick one and go with it. And if we prove ourselves wrong, then we'll do something else. Mm. My professor once yeah. said to me that uh, perfect is the enemy of good because I couldn't let my yeah, thesis yeah. go. Like I was like, I couldn't let it go. And he was like, it's okay. Like it's good. It's already good. So just you need to learn this. And that's what I've been doing now yeah. <laughs> after my graduation in work. <laughs> yeah. Done is better than perfect. Yeah. Is yeah. another way, yeah. another way of True. saying the same thing. Yeah. Shall we move to number two? I think we have already been talking about it a little bit. The people are your only good resource. Yeah, this this comes from a lot of experience of a lot of desperate Googling and finding nothing but confusion. There's really the, I think, I think this, the problem specifically for a beginner, uh, a novice is there's so much information on everything. It's just always available, always there. You can find really the answer to any question always. The problem is there is so much of it with, with very little experience in the actual matter, it's really difficult to filter it. So it's very easy to just kind of get down this rabbit hole of clicking links and finding answers that you vaguely understand or or not really understand at all. And then finding a, a kind of a familiar term and then clicking that and then getting just very tangled and confused. and. Oftentimes I would be tangled and confused and then ask a colleague or like a senior member of the team and they would read the same exact article and then give me a straightforward response based on that. Just like that, because experience, I think, gives so much insight and, and so much kind of perspective into filtering all that, all, all the possible answers that one might have for that question and then and then finding out what which of those answers is the one that we actually want to use here that's what i that's what i mean is there are other resources yes 
of course, and all of the knowledge that the people around me would have, I could probably find somewhere else. It's just it takes so much time and so much effort to be able to understand and arrange all of that information. And then and then as I like to think that as a junior member of team, it is a part of my job to be asking for help and and to be kind of learning. It's my my role in the team is to be the one that is learning the things. And so it's 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 easy to see it kind of as a shortcoming to be always asking questions, but then I would just kind of be like, it's my job <laughs> to not know things and to ask for them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. It is it is your job to ask questions and all it's beneficial to the senior or senior members also in the in the team to be asked those questions because sometimes there are questions that they don't even think about uh, and they need to think about that (laughs) and I totally agree that people are like a really good resource I always encourage to reach out to someone in your team or or in in the company or or whatever your schoolmates might might know a lot and it's always a good thing to listen listen to people. Uh, I do also find like uh, pages like Stack Overflow, Guru99, and Testing Experts. Uh, those are just a couple of examples. Uh, really good good pages to find in- information about test automation. Stack Overflow maybe more with the coding stuff really, uh, and. Well, I think every coder knows Stack Overflow for <laughs> for something, and uh, and also uh, I have experienced that the, there are these communities in a way, uh, like in CI tools uh, or robot framework has its own community that you can like join in in like Slack or or somewhere and ask questions. And there are these experts that are really doing the the tools to do test automation. And that's a super great way to learn and and ask new things. One point that I had also was that this little bit mix-ups with the first point that that we made in the beginning, because I would say that you could learn these things and and find those articles yourself and then just bring them up, bring them up and be like, would this be good? Is it a good idea? And just be vocal about that too. Uh, Because if you're not sure, you can just just ask and then you show like you have really done your research and really try to come up with an answer. I think that's a good way, way also in the in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, I think that's something that I might have done a couple of times where I had an idea of what I might be wanting to do. But that would be kind of later in the summer where I had a little bit more experience with what kind of might be useful, where I could judge for myself what might be applicable. A lot of the a lot of the problem is the problem was for me, at least in the beginning, was a lot of the articles and a lot of the resources go really deep and and kind of really specific and then use a lot of that kind of 
not necessarily maybe jargon, but like very field specific language that I wouldn't know at all. And so then it would just be a, a lot of work to try to even understand the language. Yeah, as Laura said in the beginning, there's a lot of terms that yeah. that we're using. Yeah. <laughs> it's there's just like... uh, yeah, it's just our way to sound super fancy. <laughs> yeah, I had this I had this like there were the, the biggest skill I think I learned during the summer was to group the things that I need to know and the things that I don't need to know. It's, I would learn, okay, this is for me, this I know, this I need to listen to. And then, okay, I don't need to know about this, this is for someone else. I can just do something else now. Or, or, or well, uh, that's a term I've never seen, but well, probably won't see again. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good way. <laughs> Did you maybe come across job titles, also people uh, with a role that helped you in your test automation effort in a way you wouldn't have expected? I think I think I had a, a pretty decent grasp of what the people I would be interacting with might be. There weren't there weren't a lot of people that would a lot of job titles that I would be like, oh this one's helping me. But but there were a lot of job titles that I'd never heard before. Things that I didn't know <laughs> were jobs. And so, in in a way, yes. <laughs> then once I learned what those jobs were, I could see how they would be helping me, or or working with me. But yeah, um, the most the most memorable was a product owner. I had absolutely no idea what he meant. The product owner of the of the team was was just presented to me as this is the product owner, and I was like. What <laughs> owns the product? Yeah. Owns it? <laughs> How? <laughs> Isn't it the company's product? <laughs> and and so yeah, there there were there were other things like that where where I just went, oh, didn't know that was a job, but yeah. So in a way, yes. Yeah, very very early. Not even in my career, but some of the jobs I did when I was very young. I was uh, working in a hardware assembly in one of the Nokia subcontractors, and basically I had a desk where I was sitting down, and I was I had some screws and some of the PCB boards and connectors, and and I had a screwdriver, and and there was a jig where I had to put the lower part, and then I had to put the upper part in, and then screw it in, and then take the ready assembly out and put the next in, and it was basically a a physical repetitive job associated with fancy things like base stations in, in mobile networks. And I was doing the job and then somebody who was basically running that factory came to me and observed what I was doing. And uh, then he looked at the lot that I had finished and he said, uh, you know, that item and that item and that item are not assembled properly. You have to dismantle them and reassemble them. And this is this is what is wrong with it. And and maybe why I was a bit of I had a bit of a cockiness that you referred earlier. So I asked him like, "What do you know of this job? Like, you are a production plant manager." And he said, "I designed the jig." <laughs> so, so, so you never know who happens to know about the area uh, that you are working on. 
which nicely leads us to the third topic. Um, you, Mary, labeled that as observations are key. Yeah, this was a, a kind of a personal journey about communication for me. Um, and this this comes from this directly comes from a con- conversation I had with not directly a supervisor of mine, but a senior member of the team where um, what this this is what they refer to as um, as cotton candy around a lot of the language of a lot of the juniors in a lot of situations where when I would be like asking for help or talking about something, I think partly for me to be able to form the actual question that I was asking and and kind of arranged my thoughts for myself, I would be introducing a lot of these, like, why am I doing it? And what am I trying to do? And what do I think is wrong with it? And, and would kind of not enough be describing what is actually happening what would be really useful for the people around me would be me going, um, I want this to do that, it's doing this instead. And that's kind of, the, the I think the bigger picture of that is to try to learn to think about or, or talk in terms of actual obser- observations, actual things that I see Things that are concrete, that I can actually show them, that I can present, that I can, I don't, like, I don't need to know what's happening or why it's happening. I just need to show them what I see. Mm. Yeah, I have seen this uh, many times in, especially in manual testing. Uh, I I have done that uh, that quite a bit in my early in my earlier career and and in that way it's super easy always usually to show because as a tester your job is is a kind of tricky because you need to tell others that they have made a mistake and you go to the developer and you say that there is a mistake now you have made it and then you need to uh, show it yeah, uh, possibly many times, <laughs> usually many times. Yeah, because because they don't do not believe you. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's totally what I agree with. The real facts. You have mm-hmm. a background for your arguments. Yeah, and and what I kind of found with, especially oftentimes when I would find a problem or find out what I thought would be not necessarily a bug, but like a problem. I was testing a lot of these type of user interfaces or or I was doing a lot of kind of app testing. And so I would find a problem and then I would go to the developer and be like, this is a problem. And then they would just respond to it. No, it's not. That's how it's supposed to work. And then I would go, yes, I know it's supposed to work like that, which is a problem because, Mm -hmm. and then I would just have to go, if I do this, then this happens. And then if I do that, then this happens. And then if I do that, this happens. But then if I do that, then it doesn't happen. And then, so so that was really a very useful skill to be able to just show, this is why it's a problem. And then concretely share my screen and show them what it's doing and why it's a problem. When it's, it's 
way more difficult to argue something with well it's just inconvenient and it makes it slower and it's annoying and to just show them what's happening and yeah I ended up doing some back and forth sometimes with it's supposed to do that and then me going it doesn't make any sense that it does that <laughs> yeah of course in a friendly way but that was the that was the concept of this isn't useful for the user yeah it's totally like that because sometimes developers might be so into what they're doing and so into the details that they don't even see the full picture and then when a new person that's like especially good with with coming coming as a new and and don't have any like experience in in testing or test automation it's it's really a, a great thing thing that you can just like uh look at it in objective way not in like this is my baby now and and i need to take care of it even though it's it's not a good baby but it's a, it's my baby still <laughs> but i don't want to do anything about it so they don't want to maybe sometimes maybe take the step back or they just can't it's just super hard yeah sometimes it may be that you are scratching the surface of something that really hasn't been thought through it just has organically become to be what it is and then we you said earlier that your role is to ask questions um it could be that um collectively people have just concluded it to work this way and then when you get a third opinion who starts to um, question the foundations it it could turn out there aren't Mm-hmm. And then you have to go to the roots and then you sort of reconstruct the reason why it behaves that way. And then if that argument set of arguments doesn't hold, then then you know there is a problem. Mm-hmm. So you are sort of uh, stimulating other people to think in, through one more time if it happened that they didn't do it in the first place. Yeah, there was something I remember. I don't remember specifically what it was, something that I found that I thought was a problem. Um where I would just make, uh, where I made a Jira ticket and then it would get solved and then I would test it and then it still didn't work like I wanted it to. And then I would just open the ticket again and then they would close it again and I would open it again and then they would close it again. And at some point I went to actually talk to the developer and like, what's the case with this? Why, why (laughs) this doesn't make any sense. Why are we having this kind of interaction? And then the situation resolved itself once we had the conversation, but it was, kind of a funny situation that came into my mind but it was a great for you to go and talk to the yeah. to the developer because that situation would have never been resolved otherwise yeah <laughs> i think sometimes it might be just that um they do know that there's a problem they do know mm-hmm. that there's a bug that's now a feature yeah and then they just ignore it so that's yeah. why it might be even painful to recognize some of the things i think it was exactly that type of a situation where i was like this is a bug and then they were like yes it'll get fixed later later or like it won't be a problem once we fix this other one or something like that yeah and so it was kind of a misunderstanding but it was also funny in terms of ineffective communication (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) all communication fails except by accident (laughs) yep (laughs) 
Most of you may agree that maintaining adequate test coverage is important, but for some reason it is easily forgotten or just blatantly ignored. Christina Lindholm has written about whether you manage your software or does it manage you. Her topic connects to test automation, technical debt and application management in general. You can find the link to the blog post in the show notes. Now, let's get back to our show. Moving to the fourth one, um, communication having to do with language. Number four, what you listed down, Mary, was don't spend all your time trying to learn their language. Yeah. A lot of times there would be entire meetings where I understood nothing. There would be a slideshow, someone would be presenting, they would be having whole conversations, and I would have absolutely nothing to contribute because I just didn't understand anything. Nothing was in context, nothing seemed to make sense. And then sometimes I would be asked for an opinion and I would have to be like, um, I don't, mm, ah, hmm, <laughs> yes. And and so what I what I learned was, I think my language learning philosophy in general is just like do it and let it happen. I learn languages by just just um, diving in and hoping for the best, starting to listen to a Swedish podcast and then just be like, if I listen to this enough, I'll understand. And that's kind of that's my point with this is it's the the company and the business language and the field specific language is just like any other language and. I feel like I'm wasting a lot of my time if I actually start to try to learn it. And instead, what I found is it's because they can always level down to me, but it's very difficult for me to level up to them. And so what I found was it's more effective to make them speak my language than it is for me to try to speak theirs. And what, what I mean by this is one of the biggest things that I found helpful is just repeating back to everything I understood. So like I'd be in a meeting and then someone would ask for me a question and I would be like, okay, well, so um, f- from what I heard in this conversation, what I think you're asking me is, and then say what I think I'm supposed to give an opinion to, and then they would be like, no, a little bit to another direction, a little bit like that, yes. And then could you also give an opinion to that? Or, or in a situation where someone would be like uh, directing me or giving me uh, instructions, especially instructions were really difficult to understand. Um, I would just be like, okay, I understood that you want me to do. And then say back to them in my language, what I thought they wanted of me. And oftentimes they would come back to me using that same language, the language that I used. And then it's a, it's it's a double it's a double good because it establishes this kind of common vocabulary that we're now using in this conversation it gives me the power to define what kind of vocabulary what type of what level of specificity we're having in this language in terms of language in this conversation in terms of language and then also it clears up a lot of things where where i actually didn't understand something or i did and they thought i didn't so it's just very effective to make the senior people speak the junior language. And then the senior language will come with seniority. There will always, in every language, in every conversation, there will be less need for that kind of guidance. 
it's kind of I don't know a better word for it, but it it is in a way it's guidance because it's me knowingly changing the way they're talking to me. Yes and no questions are really good. It's very good, very effective to ask the senior members yes and no questions. Just be like, do you want me to? Should I? And and it's yeah, that's it's very good. Mm. Thanks, Mary. I, I I've learned a lot in this because because that would help me so much. <laughs> I'm always learning. Everyone's like not even uh, professional but personal language as well in in every situation. Like mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm too too kind or to not making my own stance <laughs> hardly but um yeah really good points and i i do think that that benefits also the seniors in the team because then they really need to think about maybe they didn't even understand themselves what they wanted and then they really needed to think about what is it that that we want yeah. because we do have these languages okay of course, we can use Finnish or English. That doesn't matter. But still, it doesn't need to be uh, the the professional language because we can explain everything with with English. Yeah, and also uh, another phenomenon that I found was this very specific type of professional sounding, precise sounding platitudes, where. A general idea of like, well, um, you should make it good. Something like that would be expressed instead in like very high level language, in in long sentences and in like this kind of squirrely type of trains of thought. And then I would get nothing from it because I wouldn't, first of all, I wouldn't understand. And then second of all, the actual substance wouldn't be specific. And so then repeating back to them what I understood is it it will come out, it'll bring out all of the things that they actually said and all the things that they actually didn't say. And so it'll also help get rid of those types of general phrases that are used a lot and that actually no longer mean anything. Yeah. In those situations, I always, uh, always ask, like, uh, what is the concrete thing that we need to do now? Like, yeah. what do we actually need to do now? Because, yeah. uh, well, I work a lot of with academics and they love to speak uh, with those fancy words and fancy concepts and, and stuff like that. So so it's it's still a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't get any easier. <laughs> yeah. But what but I, you I, you learn yeah. to navigate to it and and learn your ways. But you have done excellent job already to to figure out how to how to get them speak speak like you understand everything. And oftentimes I would find myself asking questions like, okay, where do you want me to click? It's also a problem because things that are so very obvious to more senior members are so very not obvious to me. And then they would be like, okay, just just like make a ticket of it. And I'd be like, um, does that mean Jira? Um, what's the button that I need to click? Uh, which one of these options? What's Sprint? What does it mean? Add to Sprint? <laughs> it's giving 
me a warning. <laughs> Should I do it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think manual testing uh, is a great way to start uh, start your career because it helps a lot, a lot with these kind of communication things, and it helps with test automation too. If you know uh, know how to communicate in manual testing, it I, I think it really does help in. Yeah. You talked about repeating their own words in their own language and then establish your own language. There's a there's a wonderful um, writer, Chris Voss, who is known for being a hostage negotiator, who then turned the skill of doing hostage negotiation into negotiation skills. And uh, something that I remember from him was to basically repeat the words that the other party says. And uh, so, for instance, somebody comes to you and says, I need you to run me a test. And then you just say, you want me to run your test? And then they say, yes, um, there's this new application that nobody has built tests for. And then you say, the new application nobody has built a test for. And they say, yeah, yeah, it's like they developed it last week and like nobody got time to do everything. So so you have to do X, Y, and Z. And then you say, I have to do X, Y, and Z. And they like, it sounds so naive and so like, utterly stupid. But you are not giving anything away. You're simply helping the other one out articulate exactly what is it that they want. And then, so, so have have a look at um, Chris Voss. I think uh, he's known for Black Swan. I think it's their company. But they they wrote a book, Never Split a Difference. Yeah, which could be worthwhile reading. Yeah, I think I really relate to that. Helping them articulate. It's many were the conversations where I just felt like I was just my function in this conversation is to help the other people say what they're actually trying to say in a way that I can use it. It's maybe even a little bit of a culture clash, I think, trying to speak as a very junior to a very senior member or or doer of anything. And so a lot of times they would be saying what they think is just a normal sentence. And then I would spend... 15 sentences trying to get them to articulate what they're actually saying. Yeah. Well, um, moving to the third, to the last, you call it very succinctly, learn your strengths. Yeah. Um, uh, it's. I did a lot of kind of soul searching during the summer where, well, it kind of I'm kind of philosophically opposed to calling it soul searching because it's from a paid job but but um it's it's it was very useful for me to think about things that I noticed that I was actually good at and then specifically word them to myself to be able to actually articulate them so that that helps with seeing like my place in in this organization and in the team and then kind of seeing what I can contribute and then in that way it also helps seeing what the other people in the team can kind of help me with or also also I feel like it it helps give a little bit of a more, a little bit of a deeper meaning to everything I do because then it allows me to more specifically take on challenges that 
that I that I know will be up to what I actually can do. And so when I'm when I'm articulate to myself about what I think I'm good at, then I'm I'm more able to take on more interesting uh, jobs or things to do or more responsibility in some areas. And then also it's a it's a it's easier to ask for help in other areas when I know that this is why I need help for with this. And then I'm also able to formulate those questions and and like start those conversations in, in a more specific way when I'll be like, okay, what I, I know this part of that, I know this like this aspect of this question, but then I don't know the technicalities or like I know the technicalities, but then I'm having a hard time grasping um, what's supposed, like what's the meaning of this or like what's the bigger picture of what I'm actually doing and then being able, so yeah, being able to like, being able to tell myself what I can and cannot do, it, it became easier to see a lot of, or, or word a lot of kind of complex situations. So. Yeah, and, and in the beginning, uh, I think you you might think that you can't do anything, but but I would say that in the beginning, just go for it, and then just ask questions and ask for help. They they will help you. They want you to be there, and they they do want to support you. So I would say just like even though the task seems impossible at the beginning, you just need to maybe jump jump in it and go like. Uh, straightforward and just try to try to figure it out uh, because in the beginning it might might seem that you don't know anything <laughs> because at least for me it it did and I would say that learn your strength is uh, is like an aspect you need to come back to like for me for me every six months <laughs> I need to reevaluate that what I know and what I don't know and uh, what is really the thing that makes me uh, good in my job and and what what mm, skills I lack of and how how can I how can I develop those skills or or do I even want to does they interest me that that much and stuff like that. So I would say that that's an aspect you do need to come across in many times during your career. So that's a good thing that you thought about it in in the earlier stages as well. Because I didn't. I was like, I don't, I don't know anything. I'm, I'm, I'm just bad at everything. So I didn't even think that I had that had strength. So yeah. it's. Super well, healthy. To be to be fair, the things that I do, the the things that I consider being my strengths are things like making friends. <laughs> but that's a super <laughs> <So> good. Like, <laughs> that's like that's a strength that you. It's harder to learn. You can always learn how to do a certain code, or do technical stuff. Yeah. So that I think that's a harder thing to learn. So. I think kudos for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, should I write that on my CV? Yeah, yeah. Like the skills you'd section. make it. Yeah, skills you'd section. make it friends. Python, test automation, <laughs> making friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I assume that what you are sharing is not unique to you in that you have to reflect, you have to find the strengths and that, that people um, are in different stages in that journey. 
and yet companies are hiring a lot of people all the time. And my question would be, do you have a message that you would be sending to hiring managers so that they could better take this into account when they are hiring people, especially people early in their career? I think what I would like more from hiring managers and from the, from the hiring process is it's um, kind of a more articulate, more precise articulation of what is going to be your role in this in this company, what is going to be your role in this team. And then this would mm, being able to kind of and I I recognize that a lot of times, especially junior hires, won't have um, a specifically like preset role. Um, it's like when they hired me, they were like, yeah, it depends on the person who we hire, what they're going to be doing. But I, I would like there to be some type of consideration for what we're looking for in this hire, not just as in, not just as in like we're looking for someone who knows this and knows that and can do that because that they're very good at articulating. There are very long lists of things we want you to know. <laughs> um, more, more of kind of a, more of a description of um, what this team is, what we do as a, as a big thing, um, what we would like, why we're hiring a junior member is, is a, is a big question that, usually is an answer it's just like are you doing charity probably not there's a reason that you're hiring a novice there's a reason that you're hiring like a summer trainee um and i would like that reason to be articulated because if i get that if i get that then i can i'm better able to judge if i would like this job if i would be useful for this job um and then i would also be able to bring out the right things about me if I do think that I'd be a good fit. That's that's what I would like. Yeah, totally agree with every word. There's a super long list with uh, technical things that you need to know, but not not like I, I would say that the, it would be great that the hiring managers would like see past past those and just like uh, see your, your that are you a good fit to the team? and stuff like that because you're a novice you don't have much you have something that you touch upon on school yeah. and you maybe don't even remember that you have like that you know that that program in my case i didn't even remember some of and i was like oh yeah i do know this i have done this but but i didn't uh see that as my strength or as my knowledge at the time yeah super Two remaining. Number six, a big part of your value for the team you work with comes from your adaptability. Yeah, that's kind of, I, I think that's um, a reminder for myself is that the reason I'm the junior member of that, like, or like a part of my value is being the junior member of the team. There is something kind of inherently flexible or, or, adaptable about being the the least knowledgeable or the least experienced. There's a lot of kind of previous old beliefs and and experiences and ideas that 
a lot of senior a lot of senior people have that can interfere interfere with some maybe maybe like especially maybe noticing like general patterns and um kind of just just more of these type of um like what we talked about or before where where it's there's a lot of this general consensus of this this is how this works and then when you kind of scratch it then then you find out that it well maybe shouldn't work that way or then it that, that doesn't actually work that way and we just think it does and a lot of a lot of times you might need a new brain to actually notice those things we remind new people about that now that you are still young to the team and then um you you cease to be young to the team maybe at something like six months or nine months point but mm. imagine if we all could uh, maintain that f- freshnessness of the gaze um at all times and we could all think now that i'm still new to the team even though we would have been there for years i think would be yeah. highly valuable for everyone and of course i do think that there's uh, like a lot of value to the experience and insight that people have like even specifically in, in a certain team it's important to have members that really know how things have worked for a long time and kind of have that history with those processes but but there are there are situations where where it can be valuable to not have that kind of that kind of background hmm. mm. There's a lot of baggage in the seniority. It comes with the baggage, yeah. <laughs> usually, usually. And that's why I think a consultant job is quite great because you're usually quite quite a junior in the in the new company where you're working for in your customer. So that's uh, I think that's the best part of of my job at least. Yeah, <laughs> to be oh, like yeah. professional juniors. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point of view. I haven't thought about it that way. You, you have the, you have the seniority without the heritage or without the legacy, rather. Yeah, yeah. you don't have the uh, bad baggage yeah. or, or good baggage, but still baggage. Yeah. <laughs> Which takes us to the last point, uh, and I'm, I'm sure that this applies also for senior people. Um, which is to take a lot of notes. Yeah. Um, what I regret most is not taking notes of every conversation I had with actually anyone. It's it's so easy. It's it's so easy to remember like the big ideas that were presented to you, the kind of generalities but then when you actually start doing something then you wish that you could go back to that conversation and remember the specifics of what you were discussing especially in situations where I was giving given advice or instructions or or help and would just be like yeah I remember I remember I remember okay okay I understood and then I go back to my work and I'm like okay what I actually remember is you should make it work um (laughs) Thanks, brain. <laughs> and and then when I learned to actually take notes of things that were told to me, it would, became so much easier. And then I would have these 
um, these, well, I would have a problem, I'd be like, oh, I've seen this before. And I remember having a conversation about this and I remember having it solved, but I don't remember how. And now when I had notes of that, I could just go back to the notes and be like, oh, this is how it was solved. And then when I didn't have notes, I would have to go back to that same person and be like, hi, I remember we had this conversation. I don't remember what you said, but I remember that you said something and it helped. <laughs> and so notes are crucial to not wasting everyone else's time, oftentimes. Not having to have the same conversations always, all the time, with the same people. Yeah, I would say notes and then a good like, project management system, like uh, creating tickets and possibly creating them in a good way that everybody understands what needs to be done and what are the like, concrete tasks. Oh, yeah. Do you agree? Notes are super great. I've done lots of notes during my career, at least. Yeah, I, I remember times when a ticket was assigned to me by someone else. And I would notice that it's assigned to me and I would read it and I would not understand what was wanted. I would read the text and I would like know what it means. But then the ticket would have no sense of what I needed to actually do. I would just be there like, OK. And then I would have to go to the actual person making the ticket and be like, what do you want of me with this? Mm -hmm. And so if it was just, and then, then it would usually would be explained in like a team's chat. So it's just text. The text could yeah. have been put in the ticket, but it wasn't. Yeah. And then I would have to just ask for a lot of clarification. That's why it's a good keep like these retrospectives and uh, look, uh, look your sprint and how did it go and how how was the requirements? At least yeah. in my job, uh, we have always discussed that, like during the sprints. And well, sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're good, and sometimes we do improve them, and sometimes maybe not. But but still, it's good to keep in mind. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say in addition to notes like. Uh, also like do what's best for you if you're now listening and you're like oh frick I hate notes like mm -hmm. I can't do notes then just like uh, do what's like the best best way for you to learn if it's like having 75 tabs open to your browser I do not recommend but I have seen this a lot I, and I have done this a lot to myself also uh, I would uh, say that maybe the better way is to put them in your bookmarks or something yeah. like that and not keeping them always open because that makes up your brain a little bit at least in my opinion yeah but um yeah there's a lot of uh, again these open source tools and communities that that if you do have the courage just join in and see how it goes how how the people are there and and there you can ask maybe a little bit more technical questions. And I know I'm probably representing minority of the opinions here, but I, I still take notes handwritten. And I believe in the fact that, or I believe in the hypothesis that when you listen to something and you absorb it, and then you explain that in your own words, mm -hmm. um, whatever is it that you're writing down will be structured in a different way when you write it in your own words as opposed mm. to listening to somebody and being really good at speed writing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I do it 
I I do handwritten. Same. Yeah, yeah, same here. And I I did have a calendar like like the the real real deal uh, book calendar yeah. in like forever. And then everybody was like, "You're crazy." Yeah, I use a I use a bullet journal because I get um <laughs> I get anxious about having empty pages in my calendar. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I, I use a bullet journal where I can just like have all my things. I can just always start on a new page. The reason that I like I take handwritten notes for like, for example, like in lectures is because I hate typos and you can't make typos when you're handwriting. And so I feel like it's often, it's actually faster for me to take handwriting notes because I don't have to like go back and fix things. And I don't, and then also I have to be more concise because it's, it's it's slower the writing speed is slower so i have to be more articulate and specific but then also i don't have to worry about typos this was a lovely conversation thank you very much for both of you mary and sarah i'm confident that this will be helpful for a lot of specialists novice and uh, not novice anymore on test automation or on in general on all things software development so thanks again for joining our podcast Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you want to continue the conversation with Mary and Sarah, you can find their social media profiles from the show notes. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating on your platform. It means the world to us. Also, check out other episodes for interesting and exciting talks. Finally, before we sign off, let's give Mary and Sarah an opportunity to introduce themselves. I say now, take care of yourself and keep up testing. I'm Mary and I'm currently studying mathematics and systems engineering at Aalto University. Last summer I was a systems testing systems trainee for Vaisala in the team of embedded software and systems. I was doing a lot of manual testing and, and test automation. My name is Saara Laakko. I'm a DevOps consultant in, in EFICODE. I'm specialized in test automation now, and I have a background in manual testing and test automation in embedded testing specifically. I always love to learn learn more about software testing, uh, software development processes, and also test automation. <laughs>